Hello and welcome to another episode of the Restroom Recovery Podcast. On this episode, I connect with Jason Donaldson. He is the Director of Training and Operations for Power Speed Endurance. Uh, he's also my personal coach for my uh, personal training. And we get into a number of things, specifically around the use of active recovery within a workout. We get really practical into a use case um, of what to expect, both from a programming perspective and then how to adjust effectively within yourself, really understanding your own personal response to the catalyst, to the changes in effort and changes in break, uh, what the art of fitness programming looks like. There's both the art and science behind that. And then playing for the long game. Uh, yes, it's great to look towards the elite athletes on what they're doing and how they do it, and then figure out how to apply it in your own life. But for most of us, we're balancing work and family and fitness. And so, you know, playing the long game is just a total wellness lifestyle, not necessarily pursuing the same program they have. They're doing it to an extreme that for a specific objective. So make sure you have your objective in line. And we talk a little bit about that as well is understanding what is your goal, your objective of your fitness program. So I think you'll get a lot of practical use out of this. I'd encourage you to check out powerspeedendurance.com. I've used it for a year and the personal coaching for the last handful of months. And so uh, it's my personal experience. It's been great in understanding the use of breath work within your fitness programming and the value it brings. Uh, So enjoy and take notes. All right, welcome to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. Today, I have on Jason Donaldson, Head of Training and Operations at Power Speed and Endurance, and located across the pond in Perth, Australia. Welcome, Jason. Hey, Scott. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for joining. Uh, looking forward to kind of digging into kind of the coach's mindset when it comes to fitness and working with athletes and being able to, you know, integrate recovery, whether it's active or, uh, straight up taking a a nap or whatever that looks like, uh, into the the training protocols. So, but before we get into that, just why don't we give a little background on, on you and how you evolved to become head of training at power speed endurance. Uh, long story. I'll try and keep it short. (laughs) Uh, so my, my uh, original background, I was a police officer for 20 years here in uh, Western Australia. Um, oh, wow. and yeah, and I've always been involved in, you know, staying fit, keeping fit, uh, sport, that sort of thing. I played sport my, my entire life. Um, and then, uh, being a police officer, I just wanted to be fit for, fit for work, fit for sure. duty. Um, but I never really knew what that meant, whether it meant, um, being able to lift a lot of weight, run a long distance or both, or even how to train for those. Um, and then, and, and I used to just kind of fumble away myself doing a bit of both never really combining them. And then back in about 2004, I came across uh, CrossFit uh, and it just kind of made sense to me. Uh, and then so I started exploring CrossFit, getting into that sort of thing, playing around with that. Um, that eventually led to, um, uh, while I was still in the police, I was training in that sort of fashion and a, and a few of my friends were interested in what I was doing. So I started just helping out a few of the Few, few friends with their training, that sort of thing. Um, that eventually evolved into me doing some study, uh, some courses to become a strength and conditioning coach. 
which eventually led on to me suddenly having a business and coaching others <laughs> <laughs> um, while I was still in the police. Uh, then that eventually led into opening up the first CrossFit affiliate in Western Australia back in 2000, late 2007, early 2008. Uh, and then that led to me taking an athlete to the CrossFit, or coaching an athlete at the CrossFit Games in 2010. Um, oh, wow. And then, yeah, and then that's kind of where I connected with Brian McKenzie. Uh, I'd hosted the CrossFit Endurance Trainers course at my CrossFit affiliate in 2008. Um, and the guy that came out for that, uh, Carl Borg, who runs a strength and condi- conditioning facility in LA, um, Carl stayed with me for a week, um, looked after him and kind of stayed in contact with each other. And then when I went out to the to LA for the games in 2010, he connected me with Brian um, so that I could take my athlete to Brian's place for some training in the lead up to the games. And then um, kind of evolved from there. Uh, Brian kind of, he knew my name from, you know, within CrossFit and a few people that we, mutual acquaintances, that sort of thing. And then that led to, him offering me um, a position with CrossFit Endurance. I uh, started coaching the CrossFit Endurance trainers seminars um, in Australia, New Zealand, went up to Japan to uh, Kadena Air Force Base up there with the US military, did a seminar up there. So I did that for about five years and then essentially CrossFit Endurance evolved into power speed endurance and that's where we find ourselves now. <laughs> awesome. So hopefully awesome. that was a uh, short and sweet version. Yeah, it was. It was right on point. And uh, and so power speed endurance for me is relatively new. I think it's probably nine months. And um, that whole, I'm, you know, coming from an endurance mindset, I grew up running cross country. And when I grew up, you didn't have strength in running. Uh, it, yeah. You know, you, you if you did a circuit workout, that was a lot. Uh, other than yeah. that, it was just, just keep going, uh, right? Kind of like yep. Forrest Gump, I was running. So, uh, <laughs> You know, but over the last, you know, nine months or so, it's really been an eye-opening experience for me to see the value of, of strength towards an endurance athlete. Uh, and yep. just for those listening to Jace, I've been working with Jace for the last three months, working on a, a training program for a marathon. So, uh, been a great experience. I can, I can say that, uh, personally. Um, but so as a coach, you mentioned a couple different sports, CrossFit, obviously you do um, endurance sports as well. Uh, yep. It looked like you grew up playing some Australian rules as well. Yeah, I played Australian rules football for 20 years. Um, went back, eventually retired, well, essentially retired from that when I was about 23, 24 because of injury, um, fairly injury prone. Um, and then went back last year at the age of 43 to play Masters football. That sounds wise. Uh, yeah, yeah. In hindsight, no. And I knew it was probably <laughs> a bad idea at the time. But it was you know, more social than anything else. And I still love getting out and having a kick at the football. And uh, I lasted three games and broke my collarbone. Uh, and that was the season done for me. And then, uh, and now this season, which is currently on hold due to uh, the virus. Um, yeah. this, I'm, now, I'm now the coach of the team this season. So... Um, it's probably a wiser move for me to step off the field and into the coaching role. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of coaching roles, so when you, so you have a pretty diverse background, as I was saying, in, in different athletic endeavors, you've got the, yep. the short burst, which is a little bit more CrossFit, but then you've got the CrossFit endurance evolution. Um, yeah. 
with that diversity of experience, how do you, um, do you see a common thread among athletes when it comes to creating programs that include the proper measure of periodization and recovery? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the common the common thing really is that we just have we, we have to do just enough with that athlete to uh, stimulate an adaptation, the adaptation that we're after, the positive adaptation, um, and then we have to allow sufficient time for recovery. We have to have to allow time for that adaptation to occur because if you just constantly loading stimulus on top of stimulus on top of stimulus, you know, by way of volume, 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 or intensity, 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 then you get to a point where you either plateau and you don't get any better or you don't get those adaptations or improvements or you actually go backwards, you know, and you get injury um, and, and those sorts of things. So it's it's about um, balancing up um, the, the stimulus with the uh, the recovery. Um, and, and that's where the, um, I guess, the craft um, comes into it and the, the experience and you know you only get that from experience from doing it you know you yeah. can the art um, side of the can, science I guess yeah exactly yeah I always say that programming is is part science part art part guesswork um, you know sometimes you'll program stuff and you'll get it you'll get it wrong uh, and that's just the, the nature of the beast um, you just hope that you don't, don't get it too wrong <laughs> <laughs> So when you onboard a client, what are some like key performance indicators or metrics that you look at to assess someone? Uh, so really we look at that person's history, training history, um, their injuries, any illnesses, any sort of limitations they might have had. Um, kind of, and, and it's about building a profile uh, of that person. So you look at their history, you look at where they're at now, what, what's their training looking like, what's their sleep like, what's their actual recovery like, what's their diet like even, what are their stresses in their life outside of the training. Uh, and then you also look at where do they want to go, what's their goal, what are we training for, you know, what's the sport, um, you know, even with what's the sport, what's the distance. You know, are they, a, are they an ultra runner, are they a marathon runner, half marathon runner or a 5Ker? Um, right. or, you know, same with, you know, swimming, triathlon, any of those sorts of things, OCR, um, and then in field sports, that sort of thing as well. Uh, I've got a few military athletes, uh, tactical athletes that I uh, work with at the moment. Um, so it's really looking, building a, a comprehensive profile of that person, that athlete, um, and the person outside of the athlete, you know, what they're doing other parts of their life so that you can then um, get a picture of, okay, how am I going to program for this person? Um, where, where do we need to go? Where are we at? That sort of so thing. very personalized and adapted to the individual and the various, you know, elements that influence it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. It's, I mean, you, you can get so far with a, you can get so far with a generalized program. Um, and, you know, a lot of people do extremely well on that. Um, and, you know, my program that I personally follow, my training that I personally follow is, is the PSC Pro training program, which is a generalized program. Um, and that's sufficient for me because I'm not training for any specific sport or event or goal uh, other than just to stay generally fit and healthy. Um, so that works. But then when you get into wanting to train for, you know, specific goals, then you need to really individualize it a little bit 
uh, a little bit more and uh, taking into account a lot of other factors. Yeah, and I guess depending on where you're coming from too, you know, a, a uh, like you said, a prescripted program is, you know, progress over perfection, right? It, it's doing something. Yeah. And, and that's, like you said, it's the art side of it too, is you got to do it to find out in order yeah, to, exactly. to know how you're going to respond to certain stresses and if a particular weight or speed is too much. Um, yep. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You, do, you find out on the back end when you, you're wiped. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And that's why um, the coach athlete uh, relationship is very important as in the communication, particularly if you're doing it um, remotely or online because you're not there with them. You can't see what's going on. Um, so the communication is important. So there's that, that feedback coming back from, you know, I, I deliver the program, the athlete you know, performs the program, but then they need to tell me, how it was, how they felt, what their paces were or their speeds or um, their weights they used, all that sort of stuff. Because otherwise, it's like, as a coach, it's, you're flying blind. You don't know really what's going on and whether you're on the right track or not. Because it's from that feedback that you then progress and adapt the program as you go along. So, you know, whenever I'm programming for somebody, I always have an overview. You know, that might be about 12 weeks, depending on how far out their event is. So I'll have that 12-week overview, of, you know, the perfect kind of progression that we might follow. Um, but then that might change weekly um, depending on how the person's feeling, stuff that comes up in their life, that sort of thing. You know, I've got a, a couple of athletes I work with at the moment that travel quite a bit, usually, <laughs> not at the moment, but normally travel quite a bit. Right. So, you know, that, you know, that, and they travel at short notice as well. So um, their, their program from, can adapt from, you know, time to time um, dramatically based on that. Um, particularly with a couple of my military athletes, you know, I might just get a message from them saying, I'm off, I'll let you know when I'm back. <laughs> and then that's it. That's it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, so, uh, you've got to be adaptable. Yeah. So it, can you unpack for a moment, like within a particular program, say it's a strength event or activity, how do you determine um, the gap between efforts? So if it's, you know, five rounds, an AMRAP of something, you know, how do you determine what that is on any given day? Good question. <laughs> um, it really depends on um, the individual. What's, you know, what's their experience? Do they have, um, with a workout like that, which could be seen as like a CrossFit type wad, um, what's the person's experience with that? Have, have they had, have they done that sort of training for a number of years or are they new to it? If they're new to it, then I'm, I'm less concerned about intensity, time, that sort of thing, and more concerned with um, just how they're moving um, and, and getting them, you know, used to that sort of workout. So I'll, I'll typically do, I'll typically allow for quite a bit of rest in between, um, say rounds. So we might do five rounds, um, but what I tend to do these days is use breath as the gauge for the rest. So um, they might do five rounds resting in between each round uh, until they can get back to three consecutive um, nasal exhales of seven seconds duration. Um, and I'll typically use it at five seconds or seven seconds. Uh, and in that way, it's kind of their physiology telling them they're ready to go again rather than me saying, you know, rest a minute and a half between uh, rounds because, right. you know, 
that's going to be different. You know, that's going to be a different um, recovery point for everybody. You know, a minute and a half, I could be recovered. You know, by that point, or somebody else, you know, might not be recovered by that point. So and the breath work kind of makes it a universal gauge, individualized yeah. almost. It's like the same Absolutely, method, yeah. but individually. Yeah, and and then it goes kind of one step further than that because it also uh, it's it's an immediate gauge in that particular conditioning piece itself. So after the first round, you might get back to three consecutive seven-second exhales within a minute. After the fourth round, it might take you a minute and a half because of the accumulated fatigue. So it's it's giving you you know it's an immediate kind of gauge for how you're recovering but also allows you to um, allows the person to know straight away whether they're good to go again for the next round or, or not sort of thing so and I mean the first time people do that or the first few times they're not really you know it takes a little bit of practice to get used to that okay what are what actually is three consecutive seven second nasal exhales right, um, right. but you know over time you learn okay that's that's what it feels like. Now that's what it actually feels like to be recovered, rather than re- relying on an external um, gauge like a watch or something like that. So then, you know, it depends on the experience of the athlete, like all of it, right? And yeah, you know, whether it's and then so the objective within the effort may vary. So the W might be the fact that you're doing good form and function first before yep. you start looking at load. Yeah, correct, absolutely. Um, load kind of comes uh, down the track a little bit from, you know, I want people moving well first um, and then we want to add a little bit of speed or intensity and then we want to worry about uh, volume or load or doing it more. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's always the balancing act. Um, you know, with, as, as you then start to introduce load or volume, volume, then intensity might drop or, you know, technique might deteriorate. But we we want to kind of then pull back from that to maintain that intensity and the the, the mechanics and the technique. So, so for an athlete listening right now, so you just touched on something. So what would be like uh, maybe if you could repeat that a key trigger to know uh, when enough is enough. So you're kind of pushing that envelope, like you said at the beginning, but not yeah um, going over the cliff. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Uh, let's use an example. So let's use a running example, um, doing intervals. Let's say you're doing um, eight, by, 8 by 200 metres. Um, and, you know, your first, um, you know, I, I want to see consistency across those 200 metre efforts. I don't want to see the first one at, um, you know, let's say 30 seconds and then the last one at 50 seconds. Right. That's, that's you know, the the uh, intensity that or the, the time is really dropping off there. Yeah. I would prefer to see kind of, you know, 35 seconds, you know, it's kind of 33 to 37 seconds max, you know, variation there across those 200s. Um, you know, if, if, and then if somebody's doing it, if they then do that same set again the following week and their times are way out again, then that's telling me, okay, they're, they're not really, dialed in with pacing they don't understand or the feel of pacing mm-hmm. um but also it could also be an indicator of um they're, they're trying to go too fast you know they're trying to go out the door too quick uh, mm-hmm. and so we need to dial that back you go okay you need to slow down on those first few uh, so that we can then get some consistency across 
Then when, when they start having that consistency across those efforts, then we can start going, okay, let's, let's ramp up the pace a little bit and see if we can maintain a faster pace across those. Um, and so it's, it's a matter of kind of taking a step forward, seeing what it's like, adjusting and going again from there, if, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, but if somebody's getting slower across those efforts, we go, okay, we've got to look at your training and go, why are you getting slower? What's impacting on your, is there anything impacting on your recovery? Are you under-recovered? So do we need to change some things up? You know, and, or if they're, uh, same goes with their strength work, if they're not hitting, if they're not slowly increasing weights or they can't hit weights that they were previously doing a couple of weeks ago, then we've got to look at, okay, why is that? Are you under-recovered? Have you got maybe a little injury that's niggling away? What's, yeah, what's the reasoning behind that? So it's funny you mentioned the term under recovered. Um, yep. Had a conversation actually one of the earlier episodes with a friend who does ultras, and he mentioned the difference between under recovered and overtrained. Yep. And uh, uh, go ahead. Sorry, no, go. I was gonna. No, I was gonna <laughs> let you expand on that. Yeah, I, I, I tend to. I tend to just use the the term under recovered. Um, rather than overtrain, you know, yes, there is a, uh, a particular, um, I guess, definition of overtrained, uh, and you get overtraining syndrome and things like that, which is kind of a chronic thing. Um, but uh, I like to kind of head that off at the pass and, and look at, okay, are we under tra- under recovered to begin with? You know, what's our recovery like? If you focus on that recovery, um, then you can tend to. Um, you know, you, you can tend to, uh, I guess, maximise the training um, rather than um, rather than focusing on am I doing too much training? I look at kind of how's our recovery, how's our how's our stuff outside of the the one hour a day or the two hours a day that we're training, and is that is that optimised? Is that maximised um, so that we can support the training? You know, because if somebody is training you know, uh, two hours a day, um, you know, six days a week or whatever, but they're only sleeping five hours a night, then it might not be the training that's the issue. Yeah. There's <laughs> going to be a gasket the, blown at some point. Exactly. They, they can't keep doing both of those. So it's like, okay, let's address what's going on with the sleep. Um, and then that might be, then if you, if you start getting eight hours of sleep a night, then you might actually be able to support that training. So Yes, technically, that's probably overtraining for somebody that's getting five hours sleep a night. But let's focus on the the recovery side of things. Yeah, it's a great practical example because there it's clearly the rest piece that's underachieving. That yeah, because the person could be capable of doing those efforts, but because of the lack Absolutely. of rest, their body can't recover fast enough and kind of yeah, yeah, get to so, where they need to. Yeah, so you got got to look at. You know the big picture. Got to look at all the stuff that's happening outside of the training, um, you know, as well. Yeah, what's impacting on that? That and you know, it sounds like too. Um, it just takes time, and you have to play a long game with it. And sometimes that's on the athlete side of it, which we both know well. Is that's some of the hardest parts? Is like in your mind, you think you can, or you know you can, but um, you're not quite there yet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um. And that's probably the biggest thing we see today. Everybody wants things now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the instant gratification. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I read years ago, I don't know whose quote it is, but, you know, strength takes a lifetime to build. Um, 
you know, people go, oh, you know, when am I going to get stronger? Well, just keep lifting stuff, you know, and in about 20 years, you know, you might be strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, a little you know, bit every day. Exactly. And, and, and as, uh, as you mentioned earlier, progress, not perfection, you know, you know, and that's, I often say to people, um, they'll be like, oh, I want to get stronger in my squat. I'm like, okay, well, at what point will you be able to say I'm strong in my squat? What weight is that? Right. Like, oh, they're like, oh, hundred kilos. And I'm like, why a hundred? <laughs> it's just like, they just pick that nice round number. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why not 105 or 110? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, and if you hit a hundred, are you going to stop? Yeah, exactly. You know, what if you could do a 150 kilo back squat? You know, what's, what's that mean to you? Yeah. Does it actually mean, does it actually mean anything? <laughs> and how yeah. does that, how does that, how does that impact on your sport or what you're training for? Does it make you a better runner? Maybe, maybe not. Does it make you any better, better runner than someone that can do a 120 kilo squat? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So what is that effort really supporting? What goal or objective or vision are you trying to accomplish? Is it, is it total wellness or do you have a particular end in mind or at least a short term end? Like I had a yeah. race goal. Other people have different fitness goals, OCRs. You know, I want to yep. do whatever, but that's yep. not the end of the story. No, that's right. And you know, if you're a if you're a power lifter, then yeah, chasing chasing numbers on your squat, bench, deadlift, you know, makes sense. But if you're a, if you're a runner, then that stuff in that work in the gym is just there to support your sport. Um, you know, it's just to, there to improve the durability of your body, to build the durability of your body so that you can perform your sport as best you can and you can you know you can hit your goals in that sport not in the gym so from a coaching perspective when you work with athletes are there certain recovery methods outside of you know within the context of an effort um that you recommend athletes to participate in or some of the various modalities for recovery uh, I don't, apart from, I mean, sleep is, is the king of recovery. <laughs> People have to make sure they're getting adequate sleep. If you're not doing that, then you're wasting your time with anything else. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the main one. Um, making sure that they've got a, you know, a, a diet that's supporting their body, you know, eating nutrient dense foods. Um, so they're kind of the two main ones. You know, there's a lot of, recovery modalities out there um you know different types of uh toys i guess or yeah. tools <laughs> i prefer to i prefer to uh, refer to them as toys because most of them are, are that <laughs> um you know and and there's not a lot of science behind a hell of a lot of the stuff as well you know you know there's there's some things that they might give you a kind of one to two percent improvement um in the perception of pain or, or, or whatever but for the majority of um people i deal with you know who aren't elite athletes um you know the, the two main things are sleep and food um yeah you know people will people will often use uh things like ice baths and that sort of stuff for recovery which aren't necessarily a great tool for recovery um because they're just adding another layer of stress um you know, saunas, that sort of thing as well. Again, they're just another stressor. So people have to be very careful about the application of things like heat and cold exposure work. 
yeah. um, and make sure they're doing it. Uh, make sure they understand what they're doing and, and what impact it's having on the body. Um, you know, and then you get into you know, things like massage, you know, the various massage type tools. Yeah. Um, then, you know, compression gear, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, and then you've got the other stuff as well, like, you know, your meditation, your breath work and things like that as well. So um, I guess you've got different, a few different buckets there of recovery modalities. Yeah. Um, I kind of like to stick with the, the, um, the, the traditional kind of sleep and food. <laughs> yeah. Now you did mention breath work and I know that's a key yep. element and that was um, a new one for me in focused breath work. Maybe you can expand on the use of that as a tool within the context of, um, you know, pre, just before you work out and then there's the post. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, breath is uh, one of kind of two key ways that you can influence your state, you know, breath and your vision, um, ways that you can influence you know, your state, how you're feeling, uh, and also your physiology as well. Um, and now we use breath work uh, pre-training to get you ready for the stressor to come of the training. Um, now, typically we'll do something like a what's called a step-up protocol, which is a, a, a breathing protocol that increases your respiratory rate. You're actually you're breathing faster, um, and that's kind of increasing your arousal state. So it's kind of ramping you up a little bit. But sometimes people might not, that might not be the best thing for some people if they can't, if they're already in that kind of heightened arousal state before training. And they might have uh, finished work, driven to the gym in traffic, they walk into the gym and they're already kind of in a bit of a stressed state. So doing a step-up protocol and increasing that may not be the best idea. So that's the thing with breath work as well is it can be, it's quite individual. Um, there are some general principles but breath work itself, a bit like nutrition, and there's some general principles of nutrition, but how different things affect different people, you know, varies greatly. So right. but that's what we'll typically do before a training session is some breath work to get the person prepared for the, the, again, the stress to come of training. Uh, then we also have something like uh, a pulmonary warm-up. So a traditional uh, pre-training warm-up might get the body warmed up in a particular way, and you might get a bit of a light sweat on, you know, the joints get you know lubricated that sort of thing but your your lungs don't necessarily uh, your lungs and your, your airways aren't necessarily ready uh, and you know you know when you get when you're out for a run and you get your second wind you know about a mile or two into the run that's really your respiratory system your pulmonary system saying hey I'm ready to go I'm warmed up so the point of the pulmonary warm-up is to get that second wind before you actually start the, the work um, and you'll you won't feel as terrible on the first mile or two of a run. Right. You now when you first go out the door, you know, everything kind of hurts a little bit, you know, you're breathing quite heavily and then you get that second wind that feels a lot easier. The pulmonary warm-up helps that feel easy from the word go. Yeah. It's, uh, that and then, first mile is always a, a hard one on, on the mental state. Cause you're like, why am I huffing so hard? And my pace is just <laughs> not anything close. Yeah. And, that, and that's just your, that's just your airways and that sort of thing getting opened up getting ready to go and, you know, making it easy for you to, to breathe. So we like to do the pulmonary warm-up, which gets you ready for that. Uh, and then when you're actually um, performing, when you're doing the work, um, we, we look at um, using the different breathing gears. 
uh, and depending on the uh, the actual training session, what we're doing in the training session will depend on what gears or, or gear we focus on using. Um, but being training, you you know you work on different gears at different points in your training. So we might, for instance, do a they might do a 10k run going no harder than gear two, which is a, a power nasal inhale, so and then a relaxed nasal exhale. So and the point of that is that you're just developing your capacity at that gear or up to that gear over the course of that 10K run. And you're getting to know what that feels like over the course of that run. You're developing your tolerance to carbon dioxide as well um, and developing your skill at using the, the gears one and two. Um, but then when it comes to, say, an event, you can use all of your gears, you know, because it's it's a race. It's an event right. and you've you've developed the capacity and the skill to use those gears and then you can utilise them as you need to during the actual event. And the whole idea of the gears is that it's about changing your breathing pattern uh, based on the energy demands of the task. Uh, and the, the example I like to use is if you're running along and you come to a hill, you might be running along in gear one, which is just an even nasal inhale and exhale. So it's a nice low aerobic effort, nice and easy. Then as you start going up the hill, the energy demands of that task increase. So you need to start moving a bit more air through the body because the carbon dioxide is building up in your body. Uh, so you need to start, you know, bringing in a little bit more air, getting a bit more oxygen in your body to get that oxygen and carbon dioxide balance back again. So you go into gear two. As you keep going up that hill, the energy demands are increasing still. So you need to change your breathing pattern again. So you'll do a gear three, which is a power nasal inhale, power nasal exhale. So it's more like... So it's a more rapid uh, respiratory rate. Then gear four, as you're still going up that hill, again, the energy demands are continuing to increase. So the difficulty of the task is increasing. And that's when you open your mouth in gear four to blow off some of that carbon dioxide that's building up in the body. So it's... And a lot of... I mean, with this stuff, a lot of the time people have, people do this stuff instinctively. Right. You know, they change their breathing pattern. It just happens. But the gears are more about doing it consciously, knowing that, okay, I need to change here because I'm feeling it. Uh, you know, and then as you get towards the top of that hill, you might go to mouth-mouth because it's, you know, the, the accumulated carbon dioxide in the body as you've been going up the hill. So it's... So in and out through right. the mouth. And then as you, you know, crest the hill and it flattens off again, levels out, uh, and the intensity demands you know, are dropping or the energy demands are dropping from that task and you're starting to recover, you can downshift back through the gears and get back to that gear one eventually um, where you're doing more of a lower aerobic effort. Because if you, if you try and stay in kind of gears four and five, which are kind of the anaerobic efforts, then you're going to burn out pretty damn quick. Right, right. Uh, and that's when you see people running along, <laughs> you know, huffing and puffing through their mouth, jaws dropped open positions you know collapsed yeah you know, they're pretty cooked at that point yeah and they're just having a horrible time yeah. <laughs> um so the the you know if you're if you're aware of okay my breath um can help me manage the energy demands of what's going on uh, and not get to that state then you're going to be in a better position overall and you're going to be able to perform better uh, over the long haul so yeah and That's then a great description sorry. of it no go ahead 
yeah. So that's kind of the example I come back to every every time because um, that people most people run up a hill, <laughs> they know what it's like, yeah. Uh, and, that, and yeah, and it kind of makes sense to them. So, uh, and then we have you know post training breath protocols which are designed to do the opposite of what the pre training do, and they're they're designed to you know lower arousal, to kind of go from that um, sympathetic kind of stressed state of training to a more of a parasympathetic state to kind of get into that. Um, uh, rest, digest kind of state post-training rather than just, you know, finishing the run, grabbing the car keys, jumping in the car and sitting in traffic <laughs> <laughs> or or leaving the gym, jumping in the car, whatever, or, yeah. or going back to work or going home to the to the kids or whatever. So you've got to kind of shift, the st- shift your state from that stress state to a more relaxed state so that you can then get on with the rest of your day. Yeah. post-training uh, and, and really just get the body set for recovery. No, that's like I was saying, that's a great description on, and, and often you mentioned a piece about it that being cognitively aware of it, you know, we all do it in some form or fashion, but recognizing you do have influence and some control yeah. over that and that it's another aspect of training, you know, and I can, personally test as somebody recently developing this in it as one of the tools I can use. It also, I would say for me, helped me flatten out the effort on my recovery, meaning it didn't feel as peaked, like so much effort yep. and then crashing. And then my, the rest of my day, cause I'll usually do it in the morning. I felt less than throughout the day. Like I was yep. just shot before I started yep. doing breath work where like you were saying the three different efforts, they prime you up. So then I'm, I'm further along in the prep. So that first mile isn't exhausting or feel yeah. awkward. Um, yeah. But yeah I, I mean, it's, personal not, it's not such a, it's not such a sudden, um, it's not such a sudden whack to your system. Yeah. You know, if, you know, if I just go out into my garage now and get sucked straight into a training session, then I'll probably be pretty cooked for the rest of the day. Um, but if I, you know, cause I'm going from, Kind of zero to a hundred, and then you know, and then trying to get back to zero, <laughs> yep. and it doesn't work like that. Um, yeah, I'll kind of go zero to a hundred, and then I'll go to like minus a hundred <laughs> where I'm cooked. Yeah. Um, but if you know, you can slowly ramp up, you know, hit the work, slowly ramp down, and then you're good to go again. It's not such a um, sudden sledgehammer to the uh, to the body and the system. Yeah, it's just a level of effect in this. Um on the efforts and then also even on the back end, like I personally just always felt better, more energized throughout the whole day than historically. Um, yeah. And it's just about, it's just about being a bit smarter with the, how you, you know, approach your training, um, you know, and, and looking at the, the big picture and, and doing things that are going to support your health as well as your actual performance in your sport. Yeah. Regardless of the sport or whether, you know, you're like most of us who are, got the day job, but you still want to keep pursuing that, that goal or objective or whatever that is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, everybody wants to train like an elite, elite athlete, but they don't realize that elite sports, not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you can talk to any, uh, any retired elite athlete and they'll tell you exactly that, <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah. what they were, what they were doing, they wouldn't recommend the general public do because yeah. it's not healthy it's you know it's a it's 
it's a job and it's a certain um, they're doing you know certain they're training a certain way to uh, achieve a certain result uh, and that's that result is not health it's to to win something <laughs> right right um, so yeah it's uh, that, that's kind of a uh, I guess a mindset or something that the, a lot of the a lot of the general public have to get away from you know I don't need to do what elite athletes are doing. <laughs> Yeah. Be, be your elite self, right? What's get the best out of, out of yourself. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, if that's what you're pursuing, then get after it. That's right. Yep. Well, Jason, I appreciate the time. We're kind of coming up on it here. I did want to close out with a couple of questions for you. So sure. what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm actually got a, I normally have a couple of books on the go at one time. Um, I'm actually rereading uh, The Obstacle is the Way by uh, Ryan Holiday. Yes. Um, I first read that back in about 2018 um, and then picked it up uh, again just recently um, to kind of delve into it and go over my notes that I've got in it and that sort of thing and uh, I guess studied a little bit more and it's probably an appropriate book for the current, um, current time. Yeah, I would, <laughs> uh, I would say so. Yeah, and then the um, the other one I'm reading uh, is a, a book called One Fourteenth of an Elephant, and it's uh, written by a uh, gentleman who was a POW in the Second World War. In um, he worked on what's called the Thai Burma Railway, uh, which a lot of Australian and, and British uh, POWs um, were involved in back in the Second World War after the fall of Singapore. Uh, and I think about twenty to thirty thousand of those POWs uh, died in the process of of that. So wow. um, it's it's actually called one fourteenth of an elephant because the guys worked out that they had two elephants helping at one point in one of the POW camps, and they worked out that um, each man was worth about a fourteenth of what the work an elephant one elephant could do. So that's why they, you know, in, as in moving That was their roads, assessed value. <laughs> essentially, yeah, that's right. That's their, their value was, you know, one fourteenth of an elephant. But um, reading that and uh, the conditions that they, they had to put up with and, the, um, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, puts a lot of things in perspective. You know, we have absolutely nothing to complain about at the moment. You know, they had, uh, you know, dysentery, cholera that went through the camps, you know, every year. Uh, where they would lose, you know, they might have a, there might be a thousand guys in the camp, and they would lose half of those to cholera. Um, wow! You know, and just the the uh, barbaric conditions that they that they lived in, and the um, you know they were living on you know kind of a, a few scraps of rice a day um, and that sort of thing, and no no clean water. You know, these guys didn't even have clothes; they basically just had like a loincloth. Um, no shoes or anything like that. And wow. uh, at one point in the book, they were they were drilling through rock um, to get this railway to to put explosive devices down to the rock. And uh, they didn't have drills or anything, but they had these drill bits, these large drill bits. And one guy had to hold the drill bit while the other one hit it with a with a hammer. And then they would turn it half a turn each each hit, and then turn it half a turn, and then hit it again, turn it half a turn. So they were essentially man thing a, a manual drill <laughs> wow with one guy holding it the other guy hitting it with a hammer and so yeah that's uh that's what i'm reading at the moment um i, I actually did start reading that probably about or six or seven years ago and for whatever reason put it down and we well, got distracted and went on to something else and then just picked it up again uh, about a week ago and 
got back into it. But um, yeah, so they're the two ones. Uh, Obstacle is away and, and one fourteenth of an elephant. So I've usually had two or three books going up at one time. Um, and it's kind of my goal uh, these days is to read less books, but to get more from them or to learn more from them rather than just consuming, you know, 100 books a year. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather consume 10 or five even and get more from them. Yeah, I've come to a similar epiphany recently where I felt like I was consuming a lot on the personal development side. And at some point they echo the same thing and it's like, okay, yeah, let's just definitely. drill deep and just soak in something for a minute rather than just consume, yep. consume. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to check sure. out that book. I, I'm a big fan of um, military and a great deal of respect for their service. And um, which sidebar, thank you for your service in the police force. No your time there. And so I'm going to have to check it out, especially, you know, coming from the American perspective, that's, you know, similar burdens and hurdles, but limited context sometimes. So it's good to get additional yeah. worldviews. Um, yeah, for sure. So what are you listening to right now? Music or podcast? Uh, I, don't, I don't listen to a lot of music. The only time I really have music on is when I'm training. Uh, and I just have, have a, uh, a playlist on Spotify that I've had for probably 10 years that I'll occasionally add to or delete things from. Um, and that's just my training kind of tunes playlist on Spotify that I always have going. I always put it on shuffle, but for some reason it seems to play the same songs all the time. <laughs> even though even though there's about 500 songs on there, I think I seem to, I seem to hear the same 20. So I'm not sure what's going on with their shuffle. But um, apart from that, podcasts, um, I typically, uh, I don't listen to too many podcasts because I, I work from home and I don't have a commute. Um, I don't have a lot of, I guess, a lot of um, time to listen to podcasts. Um, but I, I listen to a, a regular one. Um, it's called the U Project, um, which is a guy here in Australia called Craig Harper. He's a, um, I guess you could call him a coach, um, motivational speaker, which he hates being called, but that's what he get, often gets described as. Um, but he, yeah, he he's up to about a hundred, episode 180 or something on his podcast, and it's just always, um, it's just always uh, good content. You know, he has some interesting guests on there. I like Craig's style. He's very down to earth. I've um, I've done uh, I've, I've done some uh, or been to some of his events um, and have have had a call with him before and that sort of thing. And um, I actually hooked up um, uh, a guest for him just recently um, on one on the podcast. So he um, I just connected a, a guy in the US that I know with Craig and he got him on on the podcast, which was which was always good, uh, which was a good one. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's that's really the only podcast I listen to. Occasionally, I'll delve into some other ones if um, I see someone post something on Instagram about a particular episode of a podcast. Then I'll jump on that and, and have a listen. Or any of the ones that um, any of the Power Speed Endurance team are on, I'll jump on there and have a listen to it. See what the, what uh, Brian or Rob are saying, and then uh, make sure we're on the same page. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of important, right? Yeah, that's it exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, any time those guys are on a podcast, I'll, I'll, I'll tune in and I tend to learn something uh, all the time. So always a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, always something to learn. So That's this it. is the Rest and Recovery podcast. So um, what is your go-to rest and recovery method? Uh, sleep. 
<laughs> I was going to say, I think you answered that one already. Sleep? 100%. Yeah, always has been. Um, even, you know, I'm a big fan of naps during the day, even if it's just a, you know, I'm the sort of person that can put my head down for 15 minutes, go to sleep, wake up, and I'm good to go again. Um, so, yeah, definitely sleep. Um, yeah. That's that's my go-to. I'm, I'm very jealous of anyone who can do that because that's not one thing I've been able to do. I've, it's not that I don't like naps. I just can't seem to shut my brain yeah. off enough to, uh, to do it. My wife on the yeah, other hand, she's, she's very good at it. And I just look at her and I'm just, darn it. <laughs> yep. My, my other half's the same. She, she hates that I can do that because if she goes to lie down for a nap, she'll wake up two hours later and she'll feel like crap for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, Whereas I'm like 15 minutes up, good to go. <laughs> nice. Well, Jason, again, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a, a great episode, wealth of information, some tact- tactical and practical things. And um, before we close out, though, how can people find you? Uh, probably Instagram is the best one. It's just um, Jason Donaldson underscore. Um, it's nice and easy, but uh, that's pretty much, you know, the main place I am on the socials. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Have a great one. No worries. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for listening to this episode. Lots of great practical tips covered here today. And if you know someone who could get some value out of this episode, please share. Be super grateful. Uh, We're all about being well and improving our our life and so if someone can get value out of this please remember to uh, subscribe review and share again grateful for you remember be rested be well